Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. part of uh, the Royals SB Nation blog family, covering, of course, the Royals and everything Royal. Uh, I'm your normal co-host, but unfortunately we are without Matthew Lamar, so I will be the solo host today. Um, my name is Sean Newkirk. I'm joined by two long-tenured uh, fellas from Royals Review. We've got our overlord, Max Reaper. Max? Hey, how's it going, Sean? And joining me, the new Atlanta or uh, Savannah, Georgia resident, uh, Josh Ward. Joshua. Well, all right, all right, all right. All right. So on that note, uh, let's dive in. So we're going to have to shake off the cobwebs. Uh, it's been a couple weeks, and then we've got the Labor Day weekend here. Kind of everybody's at the lake. Everybody's kind of missing out. And this weekend wouldn't have been a bad weekend to be at the lake uh, because the Royals, unfortunately, were just swept uh, by the White Sox, and then lost several games prior to the Tigers. Fellas, this is not uh, something we're used to this season, and not something fun. What are our thoughts? Does, you know, it's uh, every loss is one less win. How do we feel about what's going on even the past few weeks? Time to panic or just, you know, first place, forget about it for now, kind of? Well, I kind of fall into, you know, it's, it's just three games, you know, category of, you know, any team that's going to be good is still going to lose. 60 games a year. Uh, I mean, when I tell people on Twitter panicking and saying championship teams don't get swept at home, and of course I look back and the Giants last year got swept three times at home, so you know, it happens over the course of a long season. Guys get up, guys get down. Uh, It's weird that we're in the position of like kind of talking people down off the ledge because we're known as being the negative Nancys, but you know, I think we kind of take a long view and say, you know, this, this kind of stuff happens and three games isn't a big deal, but the 1980 Royals lost eight games in a row in September and finished September losing 18 of 26, and yet they still went out and swapped the Yankees uh, in the ALCS. So I'm not alarmed yet. If it's if there's something that takes, you know, if they if they looks if we're a couple weeks in and they're they're in a bad slump and it looks like there's some serious problems, then, then maybe we can get worried. But right now it's just three games, three bad weekend games. Maybe they're out, you know, celebrating Labor Day weekend on their own and. And uh, just had a bad series, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not freaking out yet. I mean, if you look at it from a a more big picture standpoint, they've won, they've gone 19 and 11 over their last 30 games. So I don't, I don't really see if you stretch it out over, you know, just this last three game period, they're actually still playing 
right a, right around the 600 mark that they've been at for the entire year. So I don't know if it's it's certainly not time to panic. Um, now, if they go out against the Twins and drop a couple more games, and Toronto keeps cruising, and you start to see the lead for the American League home field uh, kind of bunch up there, then maybe a little bit. But right now, I, I don't think as a team that there's there's much to worry about. We don't think this is, and we don't think this is necessarily a. Um a common theme and here, this will be a hot take so let me get out a hot take here so <laughs> looking back at the 2008 Brewers whose manager was Ned Yost uh, who was fired uh, that September they September 1 rolled around they were at 80 and 57 comfortably uh, above 500 they then looks like they lost by my quick count I think 17 games in September uh, multiple four game losing streaks some three game losing streaks a horrible September but this is more of just, you know, the Royals lost a couple games more than something that's maybe uh, brought upon by Ned Yost mismanagement, right? Just it, it seems like it could just be something we could be, you know, it sucks to lose, but it's not, there's not a specific reason. It's not like somebody's fault necessarily, right? Well, I wouldn't say it was Ned Yost's fault, but I guess if there, you were to be troubled by the way they've lost it, it, the last couple games, it's that the starting pitching has been pretty, pretty terrible. Uh, we saw a rough outing by Johnny Cueto over the weekend. We saw a rough outing by Chris Medlin over the weekend. Uh, and that's been the weakness of the team all year. Now, you'd like to think that maybe they they had kind of improved that over the last couple of months with Medlin and Cueto, but if they start faltering, uh, then I think that would start to be a little worrisome. But that being said, you know, Cueto's had four kind of rough starts now. I'm kind of at the point where I'm, I'm a little worried, but I'm not full-blown panic mode yet. Medlin just had one bad start. I think otherwise he's looked pretty good. Uh, so the starting pitching, I think, is still something you got to monitor. But uh, no, I wouldn't put it this on Ned's on Ned's plate. Um, it's just kind of the starting pitchers just haven't been able to get it done. The offense, uh, you know, they've been okay. They, they weren't able to get some runs home with some runners on base over the weekend. But that's the kind of stuff that will kind of go up and down. So I'm not concerned about the offense much. It's the starting yeah. pitching. I think you just want to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, the Royals have have averaged almost seven runs a game over the last five games. And they've lost three of those five games. Uh, it's, I mean, they won 12-1, then they won 15-7, and then they only scored seven runs over the final three games. It's just, it's, it's one of those weird baseball things that happens to every um, As far as Johnny Cueto goes, I don't, I, I don't know if concerned is the right word. Um, I haven't really, I haven't really seen much in his performances uh, outside of kind of some uh, seems like just diminished effectiveness. There's been a question about whether or not he and Sal Perez are on the same page in terms of uh, which pitches they want to throw and which counts and and you know, things like that. And I I feel like that's all just kind of speculation at this point. Um, but it's. If there's one thing to watch, if you wanted to be concerned, which you really probably shouldn't be, but if you wanted to be, the one thing to look at would be Johnny Cueto over the next, you know, three weeks or so to figure out whether or not he's having issues. His velocity isn't down. It hasn't really gone anywhere. It just seems like... He 
hitters are just one being pretty lucky against him, and two, he's just missing spots. Yeah, I think the, the consensus I've seen out of about three or four articles written, you know, trying to diagnose him, it seems to be that uh, number one, he is getting unlucky. I mean, he's getting some some more uh, his, his bat, which was kind of extraordinarily low the last couple of seasons in Cincinnati. It's kind of regressed to a to an average uh, Babbitt. So he's been a little, little bit unlucky. And then I think a lot of people seem to conclude that his cutter, he's throwing the cutter a lot more at the Royals for whatever reason, and maybe that's Sal Perez and maybe that's not. Um, but the cutter is also kind of drifting back towards the middle of the plate more, which is getting squared up a lot more than, than he's used to. And, uh, you know, I think I remember James Shields kind of having that same issue last year about May or June, and then um, there was some – I think there was actually – I think the Royals actually don't like their pitchers throwing the cutter. I think Dave Island's kind of talked about how he doesn't like pitchers throwing that because they can kind of fall into bad habits and because um, it's an easy pitch to kind of get some movement on. Um, so uh, so I don't know if that's something they're going to dissuade him from throwing or he's just working on something. Uh, and then, of course, the other explanation is that he's moving from a league with – no designated hitter to a league with a designated hitter, and that sometimes can be a tough transition for some pitchers. So I, I agree. I don't know if there's much to be too worried about yet. I think, but I think that's something they want to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks because they'll obviously need him to be in tip-top shape come October. Yeah, uh, spot on, both guys there. They're Quato just is at 50 innings pitch now, exactly for the Royals, and uh, yeah, strikeouts are down, walks are down, so. Um, of course, Bap is up. So I think that's probably the big diagnosis of all of it there. You know, it's not like he's getting unlucky on home runs. It looks like it's just, you know, reverse from what was expected. Uh, balls are landing in play. We thought they probably wouldn't land in play as much as the Orioles' defense. But, yeah, uh, looks like he's getting a bit more bad up than, than normal there. Um, what do we think, Max? Uh, speaking of Cueto, the part of the return in the Cueto trade, uh, to the Reds, that is, their return, was a former first-round draft pick from 2014, Brandon Finnegan. He had some choice uh, quotes, maybe maybe a partial hot take uh, just yesterday or even today there. What did uh, what did Finnegan have to say? Can you recall there? Well, he was, he was quoted in a piece by the Louisville Courier, Courier Journal saying that the Royals kind of screwed him over. And he said, quote, the Royals kind of screwed me over this year. I wouldn't have done what I did if it wasn't for them last year, but you could, kind of, you could tell they just didn't have a clue what to do with me. Which isn't completely untrue. I mean, they did kind of have him go back and forth between the rotation and bullpen. It didn't seem like they knew if he was going to be a starter or a reliever. Uh, it's interesting in the piece. There seems to be the same kind of uh, you know confusion in Cincinnati about what they what they're going to do with him. His minor league manager says he he thinks that Finnegan has a future as a reliever, uh, but the Reds seem to kind of be leaning towards at least trying him as a starting pitcher. He says he wants to start. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it, that's, this is why I was kind of okay with them dealing Brandon Finnegan in the first place because I think he can be a pretty good reliever, but I have my doubts about him as a starter. Um, and if, he, if, his, if his ceiling is... Well, this is embarrassing. Normally, microphones and technology work, but in this case, nobody's mic seemed to work for a few moments here. So, much like the Unieski Betancourt signing and then re-signing... Let's just forget this moment ever happened. Josh, uh, how about uh, Finnegan as a reliever? What do you think about that? You think that makes the most... I think it makes the most sense. Uh, well, I I think it makes the most sense in that he has shown that he can have success in that role 
at the major league level. But in terms of maximizing his value, yes, you want to give him a chance to be a starter and work his way up to it. However, he doesn't really have a track record of success as a starter in the minor leagues for any team to really feel comfortable that he might be able to fit into that role anyway. I mean, one of the reasons why the Royals sort of waffled on him on the idea of him being a starter or a reliever in the first place was simply because he didn't have success with the team as a starting pitcher. Now, granted, it was in roughly 40-ish innings across... uh, Not even 40-ish innings. It was like 30 or so innings across two levels in the minors this year, but he wasn't good (laughs) as a starter. He gave up multiple runs in, I think, all of his outings except for two or three uh, when he was starting in the game. Um, His walk rate exploded, and though he was still able to get strikeouts fairly consistently, um, he just had... All all of his other peripherals were, were way down as a starting pitcher than what they were as a reliever. Um, and even in the major leagues this season, in you know his 24 innings this year, though his ERA looked nice at 2.96, his uh, fielder independent pitching was 4.74. He was walking almost five guys per nine innings, and he was only striking out a shade under eight, which, oh, and his home run per fly ball rate was over 20%. And, and those are just kind of things that, one, some statistical noise because of the small sample size, but two, um, is kind of becoming the book on Brandon Finnegan as a pitcher, Mm -hmm. which is a guy who's going to be able to strike people out every once in a while, but he's also going to walk guys, and he's probably going to give up some runs. So where Cincinnati sees him in the future, though they've declared that they want him as a starter but are actually calling him up to the majors tomorrow to become a reliever out of their bullpen for the rest of the year. Uh, I think he's going to end up as a reliever. Um, but if he wants to be a starting pitcher, then just, you know, do better. That's really the, the short answer for it is. And if the Reds want, and the Reds should want him to be a starter because that's how they'll maximize the value that they got out of the trade for Johnny Cueto, but... Um, I think eventually they're going to find out that he probably is more suited in relief. Yeah, and looking at his minor splits, I mean, he's severely better against lefties, which makes sense. I mean, you've got a lefty, lefties, the classic matchup there. But I yeah. mean, he's you well. Know, he also has a he also has a, a low three quarter delivery. Yeah, um, and he's got kind of a rocking uh, motion when he when he comes to the plate, which can create some timing issues, and he's off, you know, his breaking ball just kind of dives away. And Yeah. I, I don't, I, I think he's better than being a loogie, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's all he ends up as. Sure. Though I, I think he'll still be able to play in the back end of a bullpen. Yeah, yeah, and the slider, I mean, I believe the slider has just normal platoon splits, um, you know, yeah. out against same-handed batters better, so, mm-hmm. and that's his key breaking ball pitch there really um yeah yeah, so i think in in max you know kind of in just a fun discussion and let's just bring it up just for you know the sake of the podcast um you know the royals were really 
adamant, really against. They did. They brought him up and down. They moved him around from bullpen to rotation. But I mean, he never got us really a start in at least the major leagues at as a in the rotation as a starter there. Um, do you think maybe there's the possibility that we kind of touched upon this that maybe they were just kind of not necessarily showcasing him, but they were unshowcasing him, anti-showcasing him by you know really not showing what he can do in the rotation to to keep his value, uh, to maybe to not dilute it there in a way. Does that seem maybe too far-fetched, you think? Or, I mean, it seems within reason, at least, if it's not just more anecdotal than, than realistic. Right. I don't, I don't know if we have any evidence about uh, on that, but, I, yeah, that my kind of theory is that, not just with Brandon Finnegan, but John Lamb as well. I mean, there's a reason. I think there's reasons why they didn't call him up uh-huh. and, Finnegan, and give Finnegan starts is because I think they were a little bit worried that those guys would get exposed in those roles, Lamb in the majors and Finnegan as a starter, and that might hurt their trade value. I don't, I don't know. Maybe there's, I'm completely off on that. But uh, yeah, that's just kind of my theory. And you know, they there's been reports that they, not, you know, at least whispers that the team was not enamored with his offseason mm-hmm. workout regimen. There's a story about him hanging out with Gronkowski, Rob Gronkowski, noted party animal. And, and the story that you know he's clear, you know, really clear. Oh, I didn't stay out late with them, but. Uh, no, but if you want to, if you're hanging out with Rob Gronkowski, we kind of have to assume you're at least having some fun and partying out. And I think they were in Aggieville in Manhattan, so um, you know, and he showed up a little bit out of shape in, in the spring. And this is a year, a big year for him, and he should, probably should have been, you know, really working hard to, to make club. And you know, he's a young kid, and maybe that's just part of the maturation process, and or maybe that had nothing to do with the decision at all. I don't know, but uh, you know, like you said, there's still some issues with his. With his stuff and his his uh, secondary pitches that he probably needs to work on, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it, it's possible that that had something to do with the reasoning for that. I had never heard Pat Gronkowski's story. That's awesome. And yeah, he, it was. I think uh, Gronkowski was in town. Uh, TCU was playing K State in football, and Gronkowski's brother is on one of the teams. I oh, think. Okay. And so I think they just. I don't know how they knew each other, but somehow they ended up being part of the same gang okay. for the for the after party. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. And he and he was clear to say, like, you know, I was not part of a late night, you know, festivities, but who knows? <laughs> he didn't Gronkowski didn't go to K State. Do we know where Gronkowski No no his was? his brother was his oh. brother was in the game somehow. I don't uh, okay. Maybe he was like in the band or something. Okay. Yeah, well there's, well, like, there's, there's like ten Gronkowski brothers. Yeah, there's yeah, like there I mean, there was a I don't know if it was a thirty for thirty, but ESPN did a thing about the three Gronkowski brothers. Yeah. Two of oh. whom were in the NFL, and a third who was getting ready to graduate, and then they also had like two more brothers who were in college at the time. So Glenn, Glenn Gronkowski is a fullback at Kansas State. Glenn. So there you go. There you go. Glenn, <laughs> Rob, very all these white guy names. That's that's. Oh yeah. We are not the go-to website for all things K-State football, but Royals baseball, we got to come. You should go to uh, Cannonball Run. Is can not Cannonball Run? Cannon? What is it? I would. I wouldn't even know. What's K State's SB Nation? I know what it is. Dang it! It's you should uh, go we'll to give bring a plug. on the cats. Bring on the cats. That's right. We'll give them yeah. a plug. Go to bring on the cats. <laughs> bring on the cats. Or K State Gronkowski news. I'm yeah. thinking of. They've got something relating to a cannonball, right? K State does. What the Wabash cannonball? That's what it is. Okay, yeah. uh, not cannonball run. Obviously, not the <laughs> movie. From, That'd be a lot cooler. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, uh, real quick. Speaking of, let's. Hinge on the Quato Finnegan thing. Um, John Lamb has made a couple starts. I think he's almost got 30 innings under his belt in the major leagues here, or 28. Um, ERA looks pretty bad. 
Uh, 6.11, but FIP looks a lot better at 3.5. Josh, what do you think about Lamb so far? I mean, you know, obviously he's not pitching for the Royals, but he's he's a guy that I think across the board we should want to be good, you know, should have success. He's not really going to ever face the Royals, um, except for an interleague. So, I mean, early returns, have you watched much of Lamb, or what are your thoughts on kind of how he's been to to begin here? Um, I've I've maintained a passing interest in all of the players that Kansas City traded uh, recently, and fortunately or unfortunately, Jack Lamb has been the most, uh, I guess you might say, successful in the major league so far. I mean, the ERA does look bad, um, but he's striking out over, over 10 guys um, per nine innings. He's not really walking anybody. His walk rate's at 2.25. Um, and most of what I've seen in, in terms of of his pitching is that uh, he'll be cruising along and then all of a sudden he'll just have one kind of Luke Hochaver type inning that everything kind of flies off the rails for, for whatever reason and he'll give up three or four runs and then he'll kind of collect himself and work, and work his way through uh, another inning or two before getting it, you know, in the Three of his starts have been pretty pretty good. Um, against Arizona, he pitched uh, five and a third and didn't walk anybody and struck out eight guys. Uh, against Milwaukee, six innings, no walks, eight, eight strikeouts. Um, it's really just been kind of clustering of hits. Uh, I mean, he has a 410 batting average against on balls in play, which is obscenely high it's no nowhere near <laughs> being what his his true talent level is um i don't know if he's a 3.5 you know fit kind of pitcher or but uh i i think cincinnati is probably going to be okay with him but mm-hmm. um he's he's looked pretty all right yeah especially in their rebuilding years or whatever's going to happen in the next couple of years yeah, Cincinnati yeah. i mean he's I don't like getting into this this whole Jeremy Guthrie defense of one bad start, but um, he's really kind of just one bad start away from from having a more respectable ERA. But everything else is looking good uh, right now. It's just he, he for whatever reason balls have just been dropping in all over the all over the yeah. place system. So yeah, he's already been worth one six or six tenths of a win point six uh by FWAR, which and twenty eight innings, that's almost a four win pace. So I mean he's been pretty good if you you know if you don't look at runs allowed, if you look him by FIP, then yeah, I mean he's actually been pretty successful so far. Yeah, I um, mean yeah it's 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 kind of similar to what Yordano Ventura went to earlier this season when he was <sighs> right time when the Royals decided that he needed a road trip down uh, the interstate for about 12 hours <laughs> when Jason Vargas got hurt after he gave up uh, I think six runs was it against the Pirates is that right I don't remember yeah I don't know but but Jordano Ventura went through a stretch this season where he was giving up base hits left and right and it was all on ground balls just to the left of right of third base and it was all just this mind like mind enraging 
kind of death by a thousand cuts, and John Lamb's going through a similar thing, but I, I think moving forward, he's he's probably been going to slot in as maybe a 3-4 and at least a 5 for yeah. Cincinnati. Sure. Yeah, he's not the guy I'm really worried about losing, uh, but no, you know, Sean Minaya, I think, is the guy that, you know, he oh. lost him in the Zobras trade, uh, yeah. but he's had a pretty fantastic season for, for Oakland in their uh, in their double-A farm system. Uh, he, he ended up, uh, I think he just had his last start where he had 13 strikeouts, no walks and no runs in his last start, uh, ending the season with a, uh, it, uh, like a 1.94 ERA and seven starts for Midland. So, I mean, he's a guy, I think, that has kind of the front of the rotation, you know, capability. And, you know, he's got, there's a lot of red flags. And I'm still okay with doing the trade because, Zobris has been such a valuable contributor, and mm-hmm. and you know Manaya still you know got the red flags with all these minor injuries he's had. But certainly, if there's a guy that was going to come back and burn the Royals, I think he's going to be that guy. Yeah, and if not him, then it's probably going to be Cody Reed. Yeah, who was the uh, kind of the minor league trade piece in the uh, Johnny Cueto deal, who's had a lot of success in Double A for Cincinnati so far. Who would have thought that? Well, I guess somebody you might have thought this, but years back, what 2011. John Lamb might be, he might end up being the most successful, and I think he might have already been at this point by based on wins above uh, replacement. He might be the most successful of the big three or big four and a half, four, whatever you wanted to call it, with Lamb, Monty, Duffy, and Dwyer. I mean, you know, say what you will about Duffy and his inconsistency, but I mean, Lamb could end up being the best of that four, of those four guys, which maybe not unexpected, but. It, yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't really be that surprising. I think because Lamb was considered to be the well, maybe not the best of the four, but I think there, he, right. I think people thought he was going to be he was kind of had the highest floor of all of, of all of those four guys, uh, with Duffy probably just below him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, there's lots of reasons to root for John Lamb. He's got a really interesting personal story um, and kind of his path through baseball. Well, Minda on Royals Review on our website um, did an interview with him when he was still in Omaha uh, and he's he's got a lot of a lot of interesting things in his past that kind of just make you want to you know root for him yeah so. and his dad is awesome too um, uh-huh. yeah and I mean kind of Duffy's Duffy's been I think Duffy might have been the best so far but I mean Montgomery's kind of fallen off Dwyer's still you know hanging around in AAA, Duffy's been what he is, and Lamb now. So, yeah, that'll be really interesting that, you know, two of those guys are basically really done for with, I think, Montgomery and Dwyer. So it's really going to be between Duffy and Lamb. And um, thankfully, maybe the one that people like the most in Duffy is on our team still. So um, He's pretty gnar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he'll, he'll, he'll like that you said that. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about – I got – this is a three-bullet point one here. Uh, one – Let's talk about the great chicken pox outbreak of 2015, the plague of 2015 here. One, have you guys ever had chicken pox? Two, what do you think about the chicken pox outbreak? And three, are the Royals anti-vax? What do you guys think about that? <laughs> I did have the chicken pox and I think when I was like five or six years old. Uh, so I feel I feel pretty comfortable being around Alex Rios <laughs> Kelvin Herrera. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, it was kind of a funny story until you kind of realize how serious adult yeah. chicken pox can be. I mean, it, I guess it's like, you know, people can die from it. And, yeah. it, and it's, at the very least, it's kind of, it's very painful and, and, 
and can keep you out of action like it did for the for Rios and Herrera for you know it seemed like it might they might be out two weeks maybe even longer than that uh, they returned today on Monday uh, so it's that's that's good that they at least feel good enough to clear them I don't know when they are going to return to action or not um, but yeah anti-vax I don't I don't know about that I know Dayton Moore uh, is is probably more uh, well I don't know you know the <laughs> anti-vax movement's been pretty. Yeah. All over the spectrum politically, so I don't know. I don't yeah. know where Dayton Moore would fall on that. But <laughs> Josh, did you have chickenpox? Uh, yeah, I think I did when I was five or six yeah. years old. I think my sister had contracted chickenpox, and they took me into her bedroom and rubbed me across her face so I would get infected. <laughs> he said, "Here, take um, it." Yeah, to get to get it, to get it out of the way. Yeah. Um, I I think that's what happened. I just remember. Bathing in calamine lotion for, yeah. for four or five days. Oh, I think um, I had it too. I, a year, I mean, I was really super young. I remember my little brother got it. And we were going to Florida, and we had a, we were all packed. We got to the airport, and they wouldn't let. Obviously, they wouldn't let him on the plane because he right. had chickenpox, which I mean makes sense. But still, I still just ruined the whole vacation. So I hold that over his head forever. Because, um, and it reminds me of the chickenpox a little bit of when. Uh, Vicente Padilla had swine flu, had H one N one. Oh right, yeah. that's yeah. serious. I mean, not that chickenpox are in serious or unserious, right. but I mean, still, that's particularly for adults. It, it can be rough. Yeah. Well, you know, and it, it hits, I guess, the Latin American players a lot more because I guess they don't typically get it when yeah. they're younger. Whereas, you know, Americans, I guess, ninety percent of all Americans will get it by the time they reach like teenage. You know, but the time they're teenagers. So, you know. In this Jeff Passan article that ran last week, you know, he talked about how I guess at least one team has taken a vaccinating all their Latin American players from because there's a vaccine now. Yeah, right. Like when we were kids, they didn't have one. Now, now they have a vaccine, and that strikes me as actually a pretty you know reasonable, prudent measure to take. And I'm kind of surprised more teams don't do. I, I wonder if the Royals will adopt that policy in the wake of this. So well, that's just kind of some. I didn't you know something interesting I hadn't thought about before with uh, baseball. Yeah, 1995 uh, is when that vaccine. I'm looking at yeah, right now. Yeah. Uh, so I was, what was I? I would have been five at the, or six at the time. But yeah, Montesi wasn't even born yet. So yeah, I wonder. <laughs> I mean, that's that is something that you don't really kind of. There's and that's a lot. Like they teach kids social issues down, not social issues, but how to socially interact in some Latin American clubs or uh, the youth camps down there, the academies. So it goes beyond just baseball skills. It, it I mean, it's it's. Getting healthy, it's living, you know, kind of a basic Learning English, life. learning deal English. with media. Yeah, yeah. right. It, it's, it's completely different than what, you know, Bubba Starling or Zimmer goes through, where they're mm-hmm. already socialized and kind of ready to go for that. Exactly. Yeah, um, yeah a, good, a, good, a good movie for that, if you ever want to check it out. I think it's yeah. on Netflix. There's the movie Sugar, which uh, kind of looks, it takes, it's a, it's a fictional movie, but it takes a look at what Latin American players have to, what they go through when they sign a professional contract. And actually, Follows a fictional Kansas City team and uh, one of the players on that team. Oh, uh, yeah, that's kind of. A, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie. It's a really good movie. I never heard of that one. Uh-uh. Yeah, it's it's kind of a low budget indie movie, but uh, yeah, it's kind of it kind of details. Sorry, which one? Uh, uh, the movie Sugar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very good. Yeah, I was thinking you were going to say baseball with baseball Latero, baseball litio of uh, the Miguel Sano uh, movie. I don't know if also. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to check that. I'll out. give that a, a baseball documentary wreck if anybody okay. wants to do that. Pelotero is that what the one's called? Yeah, is it Pelotero? Yeah. Okay, that's something yeah. like that. Um, pretty good. Really they're good. They're making a second one, aren't they? On oh, I, feel like, I feel like some, somebody mentioned that they are getting ready to. Somebody just bought the rights to make another Miguel Sano oh. like movie. 
Huh. I hadn't heard that one, but he's... Now that he's a star He's been the, destroying uh, for Minnesota. Been awesome. It looks pretty good. Uh, already, already has two wins and roughly 200 plate appearances. Um, yeah, and f- let's talk about the Toronto Blue Jays, the, mm, the Canadian runaway train. team up there. Yeah. Um, Ever come back. Guys, they're coming... They're coming up, man. I mean, you know, we, we were maybe laughing, not laughing, but, you know, a couple weeks back we were out sitting on the porch, drinking a Bud Light, relaxing on our chairs, loving for space. Uh, Boulevard Wheat. Or Boulevard Wheat. Thank and you. Now Definitely not a Labatt's. Yeah. Now it's, yeah, it's, uh, they're coming up from behind. They're obviously someone to worry about, but I think, what are they, only three and a half games back of us for kind of first place overall home, home field advantage? I mean, is this something we need to be necessarily worried about, or obviously we need to be worried about it? But how worried should we be about this? Toronto's very good. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's a concern to say the least. Uh, they have, however, won what? Uh, uh, let's see, something along the lines of twelve of their last sixteen games. So. If the Royals can remember how to win yeah. and Toronto can stop being a video game lineup for a week or two, um, then the Royals will hopefully be able to create some distance between the two of them again. But uh, it only takes one game. I mean, you only have to win home field by, by one game. Yeah. so Or even half a game. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that because... The Royals are kind of swooning with, you know, the getting swept at home, and Toronto, outside of losing to Boston today, getting kind of destroyed by Boston today, that, you know, they're on a surge, but the Royals are swooning, so hopefully the Royals will start winning again, and Toronto will come back to earth, and it'll all just kind of work itself out from there. Yeah, as of right now, the Blue Jays have a four and a half, or the Royals have a four and a half game lead for home field advantage. But the Blue Jays have the tiebreaker because they won more head-to-head games, so it's essentially a three-and-a-half game lead on the Blue Jays. Uh, and they've been surging, and they look really good. I will say that they have not been a very good road team this year. Uh, they have a losing record on the road away from Rogers Center where they may or may not be stealing signs. Um, and they're embarking on a 10-game road trip uh, today, which they've already lost the first game of against Boston. They'll have to play four in New York, which the Yankees are fighting for the division lead right now. So that's going to be, a, I think, the, 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 a real big test for the Blue Jays. I, you know, I will say the Blue Jays have played much better on the road since they acquired Price and Tulowitzki. Um, so, but, you know, they're, they're a team to be reckoned with for sure. I, I kind of share Josh's thought that they've been so hot that they probably can't play 800 baseball the rest of the way. And that, oh, by the way, the Royals are, are a pretty good team too. I mean, if you have a three-and-a-half game lead with three weeks to play and you're a good team, you're still in really good shape. I mean, yeah, you'd rather be three and a half games up than three and a half games down, for sure. So I'm not too concerned yet, but this is a, this is an October where I think home field advantage is a really big deal because yeah. the Blue Jays are really they're not very good on the road, but they're really good at home. And that same the same can be said about Houston and the Yankees. Uh, the Royals are actually pretty good at home and away, but I think you know obviously the way they the style their style of play I think fits the ballpark better. Um, uh, just like all of these teams I've mentioned, I think all they all kind of fit their ballpark. So I think it's going to be kind of a big deal in this October. So I think the Royals really need to play. You know, they need to grab home field advantage, uh, especially also because they that'll put them against the wild card winner, which will be 
who are looking at Yankees or Rangers, mm-hmm. who are teams I feel much better about playing in the first round than the Houston Astros. So, uh, you know, it's a big home field's a big a big deal, but I, I'm still pretty confident the Royals can can at least win enough games to keep the Jays at bay. Yeah, and they're probably the Blue Jays are probably the the team we least want to see. We want the Blue Jays to win their division, so they're two. So worst case is we play them in the ALCS rather than the ALDS. So, right. Sounds right, correct? Yeah, so, yeah, I I would agree with that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 <laughs> the Blue Jays' offense. Yeah, is is you know, it's it's really good. But like like Max mentioned, when they're on the road, they're about average. Um, and the I think the big thing, like like you said again, with Toronto, New York, and Houston, uh, those are the. I think those are the three teams that have the highest percentage of runs scored on home runs. So, like, their home run runs to run scored percentage is the highest in the league. Um, and so if you can get a series against them in a ballpark that, you know, because of its parking lot suppresses walks, but because of its fence position suppresses home runs, yeah, then I think that, that plays into the Royal strengths more than anything because... They have a flyball-oriented staff to fit their ballpark, and in the Rogers Center, and in Yankee Stadium, and in Minute Maid Park, those are all negatives <laughs> to have. What's the Royals? Uh, what's the Royals' rotation look like in the playoffs right now? Cueto, Ventura, and questions. That's not good. You know, question mark at number three isn't very good. No, I mean it's probably going to come down to Duffy and Medlin. Um, I think they'll go with Medlin against right-handed heavy teams like Toronto. Wait, are you having Volquez out of the rotation? Oh, I forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking so do you. Sorry, yeah. I've been I've been traveling for four days now, so I'm. Yeah. So the question uh, is, who's there? So, so yeah, the, the fourth yeah. one I think is the question mark. It's Cueto, Ventura, Volquez, and then. Either Duffy or Medlin, and I think it honestly comes down to matchup based on. Yeah, there's no reason to play Duffy against the Blue Jays. Uh, there's zero yeah. reason. Duffy against the Blue Jays is just a white flag. Like it's it's bad news. Well, it could be like where last year Ned Yost said he goes, "I I knew this game was going to Game Seven, so he might just throw Duffy out there to lose a game on purpose to get it to Game Seven because that's effectively <laughs> what he said he did last year. Uh, or he didn't say that, but he goes, "I knew this was going to seven games anyway, so." Uh, but yeah, Max, you agree with uh, that one through four, or who, who's your yeah. fourth? Yeah, I, I, I agree. It probably come down to matchups. I think Medlin probably has the inside track if he looks pretty solid the last couple weeks. I mean, that still depends a lot because he's no sure thing right now. I yeah. think it still depends how he looks the last couple weeks. But I think they are comfortable having Duffy work out of the, out of the bullpen. Um, that gives them a second left hander with Franklin Morales, which they may need. Yeah. Um, and, but I, it probably does come to matchups. The, re, the Blue Jays are really good against right-handed hitters, um, or I, I'm sorry, against left-handed pitchers because they're a very right-handed heavy lineup. So I think you don't want to face have Duffy face that lineup. Uh, the Yankees actually have they're actually you know they have a lot of left-handed bats, but they're actually better against uh, right-handers this year. So I don't know what you would do if they end up playing the Yankees in the first round. Uh, but I, like I said, I think they like Duffy out of the pen, and he looked really good last year out of the, coming out of the pen. So. I, I would say they would lean towards Medlin at this point. You're uh, you're getting one starter, and they were they were talking about this on six ten the other day, I believe. Um, 
Someone said it's not Cueto. I think it it's one of it's either Carrington or uh, Parkins. We're talking about it. I think they said that their their game one starter at this point is Ventura. I disagree. But what do you guys think about that? I think it's a hot take. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's good sports radio. Yeah. So wait, wait, so they they want to go with game one with a guy that two months ago everyone was saying needs to be demoted and just inconsistent and doesn't have his head on straight yeah. and is a is a I, head case. <laughs> maybe they said it's not Cueto. I, I I don't know if they said and you know what no I'm pretty sure they said it was Ventura. I was thinking yeah. they I because I was driving and I raised my eyebrow thinking like why wouldn't it be Cueto and I think it's either they said it wasn't Cueto or it is Ventura, um, but. Either one, that's a bit loony. That's a, that take is hot. That's a if his final four or five starts are as bad as his last four have yeah. been. Maybe I can see that case being the case, but you know, it's it's a rough four game stretch. I think he's going to get things you know under control here. Yeah. The last couple. I of mean, years. if Ventura has more outings like the one he just wrapped up tonight, then I yeah. don't really think that's going to be. I mean. At that point, you're coming down to Medlin being your game one starter. Who just who just had a terrible start yeah. over the weekend? Right, right. The, so so which, which kind of points out what a weakness the starting rotation still and, is. Well, and yeah. Duffy, yeah, went seven innings and didn't walk anybody, but he still gave up you know four runs. So it's not there hasn't been like a good recent start to really look at and kind of even make a statement like that. Ventura has been the best of them, but he's also you know had trouble walking guys, although he hasn't given up a lot of hits, you know, he's still letting guys get on base, and then tonight you see what happens when you walk guys and give up hits. Yeah, five walks tonight, that's not, yeah. can't, not five walks in five innings. If, right. if if he went 18 innings tonight, five walks would work. Right. right. Uh, well, and it's five walks when he also gave up eight hits. Yeah. Like, he had, he had that one start recently where he walked I want to say it was six guys, but struck out eight but only gave up two hits. And you can kind of get away with that, but if you're giving up both of them, uh, then you're going to run into trouble. And although Ventura has been better, uh, I mean, he's actually been really good the last, you know, three weeks or so. Um, it's it's just kind of foolish. I mean, you you traded for Johnny Cueto. He's got the longer, consistent track record. He's had four b- bad starts, but he's also had four really good years. And you don't you don't you don't trade three guys for a game two starter. That's just not a thing that happens. Yeah, I was gonna say, even if you move beyond you know the qualitative side of yeah, you know you don't trade for the number one. You don't you don't trade. All those guys, and not start that guy's game one. Let's like call it James Shields. He's quantitatively been pretty. You know, he's been good previously. He, he's the guy that gives you the best chance of winning that game going out there above and beyond any other pitcher we have on the rotation. Right. Do you guys? Do you guys have any worries about the fact that Johnny Cueto did not do very well in the postseason prior to joining the Royals? He had, I guess, he had a start where. The crowd was kind of chanting. It was, yeah. I think, in Pittsburgh, and they were Pittsburgh, kind of yeah. mocking him and chanting him. He left after what one out due to a, some sort of injury, uh, or no, not, that was a different game. That was a San Francisco game. He left uh, the Pittsburgh game after just three in the third innings. Innings, yeah. Eight eh. hits and four runs, but not really. Yeah, I think I think it's kind of rough to put to put a lot into eight and two thirds innings of postseason experience right. Sp- split out over three seasons that yeah. were four years apart from each other. Um. The game you're talking about was, yeah, it was in the 
the wild card game against Pittsburgh two years ago. Um, and he came out after three and a third innings after giving up four earned runs and a walk with no strikeouts. Um, um, so, yeah. I mean, other than that, he had the the one-out start in 2012 when he came out with an injury. And then in 2010, he pitched five innings and gave up one earned run with one walk and two strikeouts. So he's had one good outing, one outing where he was injured, and another outing that wasn't good. <laughs> and aside from the fact that it's only been three outings spread out over four years, I mean, there's not a lot that you can put into it. James Shields actually has somewhat of a track record of middling postseason performance. On a Madison, Madison Bumgarner gave up six runs in three and two thirds innings in the 2012 NLCS. So anyone can have a bad yeah. postseason. Right. right. And Kershaw was bad last year. Too. I mean, Kershaw. I think he yeah. lost both games last year. Right. Yeah. The Dodgers. So I mean, yeah. So I mean, the the postseason is really just different. Yeah. It's and you don't. I don't think you really kind of recognize that, particularly as a Royals fan, because we had never been there in my lifetime. But the postseason's different. Yeah. In term in terms of, I mean, everything is volatility. Yeah, everything with it. Yeah. So, I don't I don't think there's any real concern about it. I mean, James Shields before last season had had what seven, eight, nine starts in the postseason, and hadn't really looked good in any of them. Let me let me, let me look that up. Yeah, don't just make stuff up. This is we have we have integrity to maintain yeah. here. You can't just be six. He had six starts prior to last season, where he had given up seven, four, zero, six, and three runs. Oh, mixed. Yeah, and in five, four and a third, five and two thirds. It was actually six runs in 13 innings across two starts in 2008 in the ALCS. And then six and a third where he gave up three irons in the ALDS that year. But he also didn't have a very good postseason for the Royals either. (laughs) Correct. And then we get to Kansas City where he gave up four earned in five, two earned in six, four earned in five, and seven earned across nine innings in two starts. So he has he has fifty nine and a third innings in the postseason, uh, with an ERA of five point four six. Mm. So I I don't know if there's anything to him being a bad postseason pitcher, but we he can say he was not. He good. has he hasn't been good. Yeah, and I, but I think you can put more stock into fifty nine innings than you can eight innings sure. for John Cueto. Yeah, definitely. It's almost like sample size is a, is a legitimate thing that we should consider. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I think some fans will kind of, if Cueto doesn't have a very good starter, if he just continues to look not very, you know, I've just seen some fans say they're not impressed with Cueto so far. It's, and that's kind of the thing about, you know, it's such a small sample size. It's two months of, of him pitching and then another month in October. And, you know, if he doesn't pitch particularly well over that stretch, I don't think it's exactly fair to say that it was a stupid decision to trade for him. You know, the, the trade deadline... It's all about just improving your chances of winning in October. And and they, these are probabilities we're dealing with. We're not dealing with a guarantee. You know, No ace is a guarantee of pitching well. 
Uh, so, you know, I think Dayton Moore has to do, you know, he has to give his team the best chance of winning he can. And then it's on the players, you know. And if, if Johnny Cueto ends up not pitching well, that's kind of on Johnny Cueto. I, I still don't blame Dayton Moore for, for making his move and pushing his chips in and, and making the trade he did. So, well, let's see how it turns out. I hope Cueto pitches well and validates yeah. the trade. But, but I, in my if, mind, it was worth doing anyway. If anything, he's going to help them set an attendance record this year. So, More money for Glass's pocket. <laughs> I don't know if setting the attendance record will – you know, go over how much they're paying Johnny Cueto to help them set that record. But yeah, well, they got didn't they get cash in the deal? Some, uh, of, that, some of that salary is being offset. I think so. Yeah, and they also, got rid, they, also, they also got rid of Brandon Finnegan's, you know, one point eight million dollars or whatever it was he was going to earn for the rest of the season. I forget what it was because they had prorated his signing bonus or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. It was anyway. That, that's beside the point. Dude, Glass is just making out like a like a <laughs> bandit here. Um, I, I, I mean, he he post, that's, someone, someone did accuse of was <laughs> making these moves all, as, all because they wanted to save money. Like I think they're actually paying more money than, than they're they definitely paying Johnny Cueto and Benzo. <laughs> yeah, they didn't get him for free. Glass is only making these moves to make to make. Then, yeah. you know, four guys that had never pitched in the major leagues. Yeah, David Glass is never. David Glass could up payroll to two hundred million dollars next year. There were still there will still be people that say he's a cheap owner. <laughs> you cannot shake that meme. Yeah, and that would be the ultimate strategy: acquire good players for free. In pocket board. It's not like even if Glass did what they're proposing, that's a awesome. Get good players. A lot of the Marlins do that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> they uh, do do that, and yeah. then they trade him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of sample size, uh, Miguel Amante has pitched two innings so far. Uh, almost the ultimate small sample size of one inning. But um, what do we what do we think? And maybe maybe we could talk about what 2016's rotation looks like if we think Almonte will be in this and. We'll kind of dive into the prospect-ish side of things for for this part of the podcast, but um, I know Rainey maybe had some choice. Rainey uh, Jazarelli had some choice words or had some discussion about him. Uh, very popular guy, so a lot of conversation will flow through him. What do we think so far? Kind of maybe it's really hard to say early returns, but the future of Miguel Almonte. How does it look at this point? I think his future still is a reliever, but I, I honestly haven't seen it as much as, as probably you have. Um, you know, the the guys, he, I mean, it's, it's kind of a smaller frame reminds me of Ventura, who I thought was going to be a reliever. So I was I was wrong about that, so maybe I'll be wrong about Almonte. But I'll, I'll kind of, you know, I guess the velocity's looking pretty good as a starter so far. Is that correct? Yeah, I think he was, I want to say 97. or Yeah, he was, he was easily 96. Yeah, that'll play as a starter. I mean, for sure. So yeah, you know, right. and even if even if he sees a downtick to to ninety four, ninety five, I mean, that's still going to be good enough. I guess the concern is why didn't he have better results at Double A? Because is that year or, it was like or in Triple A when he was there? Yeah, right, he wasn't particularly. His numbers don't look that great so far. Right. Josh, do you think he's a reliever or a starter? Um, well. Or both. I, I think he's a best-case scenario number three starter who, you know, will be pretty good but can't really carry a rotation um, but is 
one of the guys. It's the kind of guy you want to have around for six years when he's cheap and yeah. under team control, uh, because those guys are insanely valuable. But I also think he could be Greg Holland in the bullpen. I and I. That's probably my hot take for the evening. But, <laughs> um, his his fastball changeup combination is Shieldsian at times. What was that it one? D- Shieldsian. Shieldsian. Okay. Shieldsish. Shieldsish. Shield- Shieldsian. Okay, good. I gotcha. Um, where when he's in relief and he can pump his fastball up to 97, 98, and then he comes with same arm slot, same angle, same arm speed, uh, and he just kind of flips this 86 mile an hour thing up there with a ton of late breaking movement. Uh, it looks ridiculous at times. So even if he can't stick in the rotation because he never quite develops the curveball, or uh, if he has command issues like he's shown from time to time, although his walk rates haven't been terrible, he can have some consistency issues, and it usually leads to giving up more hits. Um, I think I think his his floor is probably a Kelvin Herrera type reliever. Maybe maybe same number of strikeouts, same number of walks, but just has the ability to get batters out over and over again. Um, but I think if he was to fit into the into relief, that he can very well be the the Royals' closer for the next five years. Sure. Well, five of the next six years after Wade Davis is gone next yeah. season. What, what do you guys What do you guys think about developing guys through the bullpen? Because that used to be kind of something that I know the Orioles used to do back in the early Weaver days, and I guess the Twins did it with Johan Santana. Is kind of develop a guy, let him get his feet wet in the majors. Getting through the pen, you know Santana. I think you know was a, you know, basically was just a fastball change of pitcher for a while. Uh, yeah. And you know, not just with Almonte, they could do this with Kyle Zimmer as well, who has a very nasty curveball that I think could probably play in the majors right now. But he's still, you know, he still needs probably some refinement. Do you think that hurts development, or do they, do they maybe need to get some starts in the AAA first before they start doing that? Well, if you ask John Lamb, then he would probably rather not. Go the bullpen route, I guess. Or Finnegan, uh, you mean? Sorry, yeah, Finnegan. Ah, I completely ruined the joke. Yeah, <laughs> feels so bad now. Um, I'm, I'm okay with it. Particularly if it's kind of a late season call up, get some experience, see what you can do, go from there, kind of thing. See, face major league hitters, so you know what to expect. Get into the major league dugout so you can look at big league scouting reports. You can watch film with, you know, the major league managers and, and coaches and, and scouts and things like that. Um, I think there's a lot to be learned from just going through that process, more so than even just the results on the field. Um, but there are business side concerns as far as service time and things like that go and you always want to be able to maximize value of players um for the long haul uh so but i'm 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 very okay with almonte being up here right now because i think it's 
going to do him a lot of good. I kind of wish Kyle Zimmer was here too. I'm surprised uh, he's not. I, but I, I guess they're still they're still in the playoffs, so yeah. yeah. He, he might be called up after that. I don't know. Yeah. What's uh, the What's the service time concern with September? It counts towards service time, but it wouldn't right. be enough to do anything. The to service time agency. Yeah, the service time concern is if they're here in September. Uh, and they start next season in the big leagues. Yes. Okay. That's... Then you're, you're getting into right uh, a new service year. Yes. Okay. Uh, so effectively, then... he'd have to be down for the first month, or really, however long he was up, plus whatever the uh, cutoff date would be for right. whatever the super year. two cutoff is, yeah. which is much further back now than it used to be. So yeah. the the concern with bringing him up in September is that his call update for next season gets pushed all the way back to like early right. July, as opposed to early June, uh, or whenever Super Two is. Yeah, yeah, Super t- Yeah, and then I was thinking, usually it's is it May? Usually it's May for free age, for a full year of service time. The- usually, yeah, usually it's May. Okay. Uh, so they would have to hold if, – if he was up for all of September, he would have to miss out all of April anyways for service time plus probably all of May. So really we wouldn't right. see him until June. And, maybe and they, then yeah. to get – to be safe on Super 2 that he he would probably have to yeah. Yeah, at least the, the first few weeks of June. Sure, yeah. So, so. – and, and, the, and the other thing – and the other thing about it is, I mean, in terms of necessity, the Royals don't really – Need a ton of help other than rest in terms of bullpen. Yeah. So there's there's that as well. But um, for guys like Almonte, who are maybe not showing the best in in terms of of their their triple A and double A statistics, but have a lot of talent that kind of just needs to get corrected or put together or whatever coach speak you want to use on it, then. Uh, being in the majors for for a short period of time can can help out a lot. Yeah, and I'm with you, Josh. I think Almonte's a reliever. Um, it also limits. It helps. It helps to limit their innings. Yeah. Eventually. So. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's also a plus. Um, next question here. We'll stay on the prospect side. This this question is for Sean. Sean, um, you recently had a piece about the. Aren't draft. you Sean? Well, cut this part of the joke. That, why don't hop in in the middle of the joke? Let me I'm get it out. Ruin, I'm just ruining everything right now. Oh, jeez. Anyway, so yeah, so I recently had a piece about the uh, draft, 2015 draft, come out. Um, looking at guys, it seems like kind of across the board, maybe not the best prospect of the draft for the Royals' purposes, but maybe the most intriguing one, or at least one of the most intriguing ones. With I think Anderson Miller is another one. Um, Josh. Stamont or Stamont, probably Stamont, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, scouting report on him: 102 mile per hour fastball at peak, which is outrageous. Um, probably maybe faster than Chapman has, at least up there with Chapman wise as far as total, you know, uh, max velocity. Um, nothing else. That's it. Really, it's fastball and maybe a curveball that could one day be average. Uh, low command. Um, just pumps it by, guys. That's still pretty exciting. I mean, you can't teach velocity, as they say. You can really, yeah, you can teach velocity, but you can't teach a lot of velocity, essentially. Um, what do you guys think as far as 
what do you like about Stalmont? That seems like a pretty intriguing profile, no? Yeah, I mean it does, and a lot of a lot of the things that are coming out um, about him right now is what is it? He's got forty innings in the minor leagues this season, um, and hasn't given up a home run. Uh, a lot of the guys just can't handle wh- what he's yeah. throwing, particularly in the rookie ball. You know, in right. rookie ball, where where yeah. he's been this season, um, that's kind of just unfair. It it really is just not nice. But uh, <laughs> he's got command issues, to say the least. Um, he's got what is it, thirty two walks in forty innings. Yeah. Um. So that's something that's got to be corrected, but on the flip side of it, he has 58 strikeouts in 40 innings. So, there's there's a lot of promise there, and he's he's definitely been very intriguing through his, you know, brief career so far with the Royals, and if he can get his command ironed out, even to a, a Chapman-esque level of, you know, walking three-and-a-half to four-and-a-half guys every nine innings, as opposed to, you know, eight, then that would help. And I, I think he looks good, and I think it'll be... Uh, he's definitely intriguing. I, I don't I don't know if I'm... His, he's got a really high ceiling right now. That's, that's probably the best. Yeah. You can... I, that's really all I can really say about him right now. Yeah, for, for every reliever, the best case scenario is basically Craig Kimbrell, I think, but he has a chance to be Craig Kimbrell light-ish, at least, with a 80-grade, you know, double-plus fastball, double-plus curveball. Yeah. Um, he just needs to rein in command. It's not like... I don't think that um, Kimbrell has mm-hmm. excellent command either, but you, right. when you strike out 10, 11 batters plus, you know, as a reliever, then yeah, you're you're doing something pretty good, especially if you can get in that conversation as Cambrell there. So, yeah, yeah, and that's it's certainly encouraging. And like you said, velocity is kind of a thing that you either have or you don't. Um, some guys can jump from high school to college and college to the majors and kind of see an uptick in velocity through refined mechanics and things like that. But uh, having having the natural velocity to throw consistently in the triple digits mm-hmm. is uh, its not really something that comes along very often. Yeah, and and he could end up, I mean, I think Kimbrell wasn't a, I'm just thinking Stamont, uh, he was a second round pick there. I don't remember what Kimbrell, if he was a super late guy, kind of like Greg Hollandish, or looks like he was the third round. Okay. Did you say Greg Hollandays? Yeah, Greg Hollandays sauce, double uh, yeah. A reliever uh, for Houston. Right. I, that's not real. Anyways, uh, Max, what do you think about Stalmont? Kind of, I mean, it's a fun profile, at least to, to say the least, right? Yeah, I don't know about much about him personally, just, uh, but I, I do like the royal philosophy of kind of going after guys with velocity. Because I remember, like ten years ago, when the Twins were really good, the Royals weren't very good. The Twins kind of had this philosophy of getting guys that could throw strikes. Above all else, they had to be able to throw strikes, and if they didn't have velocity, that was okay. They 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 drafted guys like Kevin Slowey or. Guys like uh, I guess Kyle Gibson kind of fits that profile now, and at the time I was so envious because the Royals just every single guy they had would nibble, 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 and you know draw walk so many guys. It was so frustrating to watch. But you know times kind of change, and now that we're in kind of a lower offensive uh, environment, 
that going after those guys that can really strike out hitters seems like a really smart thing to do. And I'm glad the Royals are. I think ever since Dayton Moore has gotten here, he's he's kind of looked for tall guys that can strike guys strike hitters out. And uh, yeah, I think it's what's worked out. He's he's been able to build a bullpen that way. And Stamont, at the very worst, if he's able to become another great reliever for the Royals, and that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, if he can become a starter, that's that's even better. But uh, you know, it's definitely a guy with that kind of velocity, you want you want to keep your eye on. Yeah, they've got a velocity philosophy uh, going for it, and yeah, he's. I mean, he's going to only be used as a reliever, which is all he can ever be. Um, even though he started uh, for Ozuza College, yeah, Ozuza College. Um, as far as Christian Nicoya. Oh. <laughs> Is it the same one? Azusa Pacific? Yeah, this I one's think so. in California, I think. Yeah, I always yeah. remember that for some reason. I always, I always got it. I always called it Aztec College when I was a kid. So. <laughs> Is this wait? Is it really the same one, Azusa? I, I think so. Azusa. Yeah, he was from Azusa, Azusa Pacific. I don't know if there's, there might be more than Azusa. One, one Azusa out there. I don't know. Yeah, kind of like the different Loyolas of Loyola colleges. Yeah, okay. and Loyola Marymount. Miami and the different Miamis. Yeah. And the University of Phoenixes that are <laughs> Phoenix. I think it's at Phoenix I, Phoenix yeah. Phoenix. Um, yeah. yeah, and a little bit furthermore, um, Ash Russell and Nolan Watson are the other two kind of bigger picks there. And yeah. uh, Russell has been nah, not so great. Uh, I'm a little low on Russell. I think he's going to ultimately be a reliever. Um, Watson hasn't been quite as good either there, but have you guys followed maybe Ash Russell much, kind of looked at him, or even kind of pulling off of what we learned about him in June? Um, the Royals, I mean, they're still obviously think he's a starter there, but, you know, worst case scenario, let's say he's a, a reliever, that kind of does make a couple consecutive drafts, or not consecutive, but sequentialist drafts there where they've got guys who First-round picks as relievers usually aren't great unless it's, you know, like Nate Kirby or someone who's being picked specifically as a reliever. Let's say Ash Russell does become a reliever. Is that a concern? I mean, if from an organizational philosophy standpoint or kind of thoughts about that? No, I think people have inflated views of what they think first-round picks should be. If you get a, if you get a useful major leaguer, especially when you're drafting as late as the Royals were, they were well, he was like the 21st pick? 21, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty low, and, and yeah, there's there's a lot of variance. I mean, the, the only I think when Rainey did that study about 15 years ago and showed that you know the best bet is the top five pick. Yeah. Other, outside of that, you're just throwing darts. I mean, sure. you're if you're getting any kind of ma- decent major leaguer, you're doing really well with your pick. So if they get a decent reliever out of Ash Russell, I've got that's a huge win. And uh, you know if he does anything beyond that, that's great. But you know, it's his first year. He's he's a young guy that's a million years away from the majors, so I yeah I, you know I'd be wary of pigeonholing him quite yet. Yeah, I mean, he just turned nineteen, uh, I think something like two weeks ago. Um, so he's at least four years away on the development track from yeah even being considered for the major leagues. Obviously, the early returns aren't aren't great, um, but the Royals really, really, really ease pitchers into their system. Um, I was surprised they put him in short season ball, to be honest. I thought they'd maybe yeah. work out in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. I I yeah, I thought that was interesting too. And um are either of them going to the to to the winter league? This yeah. year I don't think so. The right? which one? Uh the winter league. 
like the for, Dominican Winter League or yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, I don't yeah. know I don't know if they've announced that yet I don't think so I think usually they like to give those really low guys maybe a break yeah because uh, they've been they had high school ball and then they've had pro ball already right. so yeah. yeah I'm sure but yeah I mean the Royals have have consistently kind of always really slowly brought yeah especially high school draft picks into the process I mean. Ash Russell made 11 starts, but only threw 36 innings. Yeah. Yeah. So, and uh, it's one, I mean, obviously the results haven't been great, but two, you're also talking about a sample size roughly of what John Lamb has done in the majors. <laughs> Which is not, I mean, just to compare the, the samples that we're talking about here. Um, and it's just. It's 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 too little information to go off of for a future projection. However, of the of the two of them, I guess Nolan Watson has looked better and he's younger, kind of. So there's that at least. But getting anything like like Max said out of late round guys like that is late even late first round guys is going to be a plus to the organization. Yeah, and I'm. It may I mean, be also, even going back to uh, old Scotty McKay's piece on uh, the you know attrition rate, yeah, attrition rate of rate. prospects yeah. uh, across the first round, and how everything, everything basically after something like pick twenty five in the first round uh, is is basically a lottery ticket. Yeah, at that point. <clears throat> Um, and everything, every everything down from pick ten, is a lottery ticket where you've been given the first two of five numbers. <laughs> so there's there's not a lot of success f- for a lot of these guys, um, but hopefully they'll be able to put something together, and and, and maybe show something next season. Yeah, and I've been toiling, maybe writing, maybe making this just a full article. But the Royals, kind of just thinking about the Royals overall prospect-wise, you know, I don't think we've had a big name pro- other than Ventura. There really hasn't been a big name prospect called up or necessarily in the system since what, maybe 2011, 2010 with Cologne. I mean, just thinking back. There's Russell and Watson now. Finnegan's gone. Foster Griffin was a first rounder, and I'm just looking at first rounders. He's not been very good. Uh, Dozier struggled. Manaya's gone. Zimmer's been hurt. Starling has been slow developed. Cologne has been kind of a bust. I mean, do we think the Royals maybe have a first round draft pick? It's hard to say problem, but it seems like looking back since basically Eric Hosmer, the first round hasn't been so nice to the Royals. Well, I think I think the better thing to say would be that the major league team has been doing better. Sure. So the Royals just have lower draft picks. And that, that can also turn around pretty quickly. I mean, Minaya did turn into Ben Zobrist, who that, that provided quite a bit of value right there. And Kyle Zimmer is healthy now, and if, if he can stay healthy, I think he's got the potential to be kind of a frontline guy. And if he becomes that, then I think you, you can kind of wash away some of the other yeah. busts. I mean, you know, that's the thing you got to remember with the, the first, you know, the draft, the major league draft, there's a lot of busts. I mean, there's just, you're not going to hit every single year, especially like Josh says you're picking later and later in the in the in the round so um you know a few years ago sorry go ahead no go ahead go a few years ago um for pine tar press hat tip to david lesky i did a comparison of 
the Royals draft through like two thousand something like two thousand four to two thousand twelve compared against teams that are considered to be the best at scouting and drafting Oakland, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, uh, guys like that. And the difference between the Royals and those teams, specifically like Tampa, the difference between the two of them was essentially Evan Longoria. It was just one guy who managed to stick in the majors and perform really well and be consistently productive and things like that. So I think the Royals are, 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 are better at scouting and drafting than they were, and I think we're getting into that cycle now where the system is being used to both reinforce the major league team, which is has been built on the success of development that came in sort of the previous generation of players, and now what you're going to see probably in 2017, 2018, uh, you're going to see those guys... Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Greg Holland, maybe Lorenzo Cain, get traded away, which will then funnel talent back into the system, and hopefully the guys that they have drafted, you know, Bubba Starling, Miguel Lamonte, Kyle Zimmer, maybe a guy like, you know, Ash Russell and Nolan Watson, if they get, you know, their head on straight or whatever. Ryan O'Hearn. Don't forget about Ryan O'Hearn. Ryan O'Hearn. The <laughs> if he comes back from his uh, his knee injury, then those guys take the place of the people that you trade away to refill the minor leagues with talent, and that's how the process is supposed to work. Yeah. Um, yeah so I think I, I think we're in the middle of that right now, and so it's just kind of hard to to see that. And a draft should always be judged also by its first pick. I mean, some of the best players the world's, you know, have gotten, or at least really valuable players, have come later in the draft, like Danny Duffy and Greg Holland and Gerard Dyson. Uh, you know, and the Royals have also done a pretty good job lately getting guys internationally, like Yordano Ventura and Sal Perez. So, you know, it's it's a it's a whole complete organization, and, and as long as they're getting guys cheap player, cheap talent from somewhere. I'm okay with them busting on the first round pick every once in a while. Sure, and we should also remember that you know the 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 difference between busting and 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 succeeding in the first round is very close. I mean, the Royals took Christian Colon; they very nearly took Chris Sale. I mean, their draft looks totally different if they make that selection. So right. So you know, sometimes it just you know you have to make a quick snap judgment on which player you like better, and sometimes it comes up heads, and sometimes it comes up tails. Yeah, and, and sometimes it comes up; it lands on the the edge of the coin both sides up because you take Dylan Bundy or Bubba Starling and you right. pretty much can't win on either one of those there. So Yeah, or you know, you, you dropped a Dylan, you know, someone that looks really good and they just get hurt, like Kyle Zimmer. He certainly looked like he should be a frontline guy and he may well end up being that, but sometimes guys just get hurt and you can't really predict it. Sure. Or even even with Bubba Starling, I mean the Royals made the selection they were supposed to make. They took the best player available yeah. at the position when they drafted. Yeah. I mean, there's there's no scout. There was no the consensus across the board was that after the four pitchers that were taken in front of him, that Bubba Starling was the the, the next best guy on the board. Yeah, him and Rendon, and I mean, ba- right. and, you know, the Rendon had some injury. injury. Yeah, 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 right. So, right. yeah, I mean, the case could arguably easily been made for, and I think it really was too. In most cases, yeah, for Starling as number five, I think right. it was. Um, so, final piece. Um, heaven has come down upon us here on high 
Zobrist and Gordon might just be in. Uh, Zobrist is leading off tonight. It looks like uh, they were recently announced as being one and two. This is years in the making with Gordon, at least, uh, mm-hmm. and then Zobrist months in the making. There, fellas, we might be at a point where we're going to be seeing Zobrist, Gordon, one, two in the lineup. That's great, right? I'm yeah. overjoyed. I'm I'm ecstatic. <laughs> Future Royals Hall of Famer Ned Yost is making the correct yeah. roster decision. I mean, honestly, I would have been happy with any decision that was not Alcides Escobar or Alex Rios or Omar Infante hitting leadoff. But to have, not only they they hit the Zobrist and Gordon 1-2, but Ned Yost specifically cited on base percentage as the reason why yeah. they want to hit those guys. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, we like Gordon's numbers. Uh, it's traditionally hitting the two-hole. It's a matchup thing with Zobrist. You know, they actually said, no, they get on base a lot. That's what top of the guys, guys at the top of the lineup should do. And so, you know, Ned, who has been seen holding a copy of the book, at least, you know, some people, reporters have reported that. No, seriously? I didn't know that. That's a serious story, that he had <laughs> a copy of the book. So Wait, least, recently? No, this is back in his Brewer's day, so I don't uh, know. Okay. He maybe just rejected everything that he read in it. I don't this, know. But, for but, listeners' purposes, this is the book by Tango Lichman and Cash, I think is the other guy's name, or Dolphin. That, yeah, that spells out how, you know, what would be the most optimal lineup based yes. on the analytics. And so it's nice to see that he's reckoned. And, you know, I'm I'm okay with him kind of seeing what he has with Escobar. I mean, maybe not this long, but, you know, trying to jumpstart Escobar. And he had an okay first half for him, but... You can't go into October with a three oh two on base percentage guy leading off. I mean that's yeah. just ridiculous. And you can, you you can have him in your seven, eight, and nine position. You just can't lead him off. Right. And you know, have him in, call him your second leadoff position guy, you know, whatever. Have him ambush pitchers from there. But you know <laughs> it's it, they're finally getting the, the, the lineup they should be had, they should have had all year or at least since they acquired Zobrist and it's nice to see them at least recognize that when it's <laughs> the right time. On the list of dumbest things to keep track of, Billy Butler's <laughs> reach safely yeah. in a series tracker and the Alcides Escobar swinging at the first pitch uh, <laughs> in consecutive games are, are probably tied for the most yeah. banal stats that yeah. they've ever ushered out. At Even Lee Judge called him out for that. He's, he wasn't a fan of the Oh, no. <laughs> Man, times are changing, huh? Yeah. Yeah, Escobar's got a two ninety nine OBP when he's let off. Bad What's up, Rios got? Um, let's. Has Rios let off? When was the last time he let off? Well, not, not lead off, but what's his on base? Oh, well, oh okay, that two ninety nine was just him leading off. Uh, he's at two eighty eight this year. Rios is, it's, and that's been surging lately. So we'll see how he does now. That he's recovered from the chicken pox. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, real quick, I, I guy. we need I, to get a. Oh, go ahead, Josh. I, I feel so bad for Alex Rios sometimes. And then I remember that he's made something like $40 million. He's making $11 million this year. He's making yeah. a lot of dollars. Well, yeah, and he's also going to get you know a, a nice buyout for next season. Yeah. But we'll pay him a million and have to go between, next year. Between the broken hand and the chicken pox now and the injury he had last year and the injuries that he's had throughout his career is just like... I, if, I feel like he could probably be okay. If, he needs to work you know, on his bone density. If the baseball gods stopped picking on him, <laughs> more or less. But uh, yeah, he drew, he drew the eye of the baseball gods by not hustling in Chicago. That's why yeah. they punched him a couple yeah. times. Right. Infante's walk rate, I just wanted to check, it's 
two percent is what we're at. Let me see how that's looking. He's it's, not. He's not starting any of the postseason games, though, right? Yeah. Okay. There's no way they start no. him. Yeah. Yeah. Infante two point Perez two point two. So it's still a battle for for, for what, last. So what do you what do you guys think they're going to do with right field? Is, is Rios going to come back or is he it's is gotta, Orlando replacing? Um, it's got to be Go- Gomes has to fit in there somewhere. You'd imagine. Oh, right. Gomes has been playing. Right? I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to be Gomes and Dyson. Yeah, agreed. I don't think Orlando should be on the playoff roster. Really, there's not that there's no reason. Orlando is superfluous for the playoff roster. I mean, I know fans love him, but he's got a 274 on base. It's not like he's... No, he's been pretty terrible the last couple months. Right. I mean, his his OPS is is south of 725. And and he can run, but Terrence Gore is better. Yeah, Dyson Gore. And I'm pretty sure Gerard Dyson is better, too. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, I like the guy, and he's a great story, and I think he should be in the mix for a bench position next year because I think in a regular season game, you want him over Gore, but in the postseason, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. You take Gore, you take Gomes, you take Dyson, and I don't think you have room for Orlando. Yeah, so it'll be what it'll be: um, Dyson versus righties, Gomes versus lefties, um, and then you know Gordon Kane and center sounds about yeah. right, right? And it'll be interesting to see if Rios even makes the postseason roster. Yeah, I would about say I think they carried five or six outfielders last year, um, so I'd imagine they'll probably it'll come down to Orlando or Rios, and I would bet Rios. Right, wins that I agree battle. with that. Yeah, uh, yeah. He'll like his veteran bat. Like, yeah, for better or for worse, he'll be the he'll be the um, Josh Willingham of the. Which is unfortunate because I actually think Orlando has more value as a as a bench bat than Rios does, just with his speed and defense. Yeah, that could be. I could see so, that. You saying Rios isn't fast? Uh, I'm saying Rios is not fast. Okay. That is yes. That he is sold like twenty bases last year, didn't he? Uh, sure. I mean, I haven't seen him. I haven't seen that. Season. There was a season. There was a season where he stole forty. Right. Yeah. He showed some speed. Forty. Just, it's when he wants to show it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's about effort, guys. Yeah. There's <laughs> talent and there's uh, effort. Yeah, it's 2013. He stole 42 bases. Yeah. 2013. Uh, uh, yeah. That's yeah. Like two years. That's two. Oh, man. Two years ago. He's For a five-tool guy. He just doesn't want to use all five tools all the time. Yeah. Oh, and. Yeah, his some something about his defense. Uh, Uzer and DRS do not like him. He's actually been a above average defender this season. Yeah, that's surprising me. But for the last four years, he was not. But the year before that, he was. The year before that, he wasn't. How many the year got? before that, he was Gold Glove caliber. So it's it's I don't know it's it's a weird thing I I don't know that he's he's not I don't think he's as bad as we like to make him out to be yeah uh, in terms of his defense but I think people give him the Beltron treatment where it looks like he's not hustling <laughs> sure which yeah. somehow means he's a bad defender he's got he's got a long gait which probably looks like right. he's not running as fast as he could be when right. he's just actually taking long strides but yeah. But yeah, he has been he has been pinched a couple times for not hustling. So his kind of reputation precedes him. Yeah, Toronto. The Toronto fans were not. The the White Sox fans are not happy about him. <laughs> well, the White Sox fans were not happy. But there's there's a couple of videos on on YouTube of Alex Rios actually like fans heckling Rios when he's walking to the team bus or something, or uh, he was out at a club and a fan says something to him and he kind of. Snaps back to them or something like that, and it's just it's all the more reason why you should cheer against the Blue Jays this October. So you guys are saying, in some small way, 
Alex Rios is just like Bryce Harper. <laughs> um, they both play right field, yeah. so yeah. And they're both, yeah. Uh, they both wear a hat at the job. Hats, pants, belts. Yeah, very, very close players there. One and the same. Yeah. All right, well, good. Welcome back. I hope everybody enjoyed uh, the their Labor Day weekend and our, our couple weeks off from the last podcast. Um, I don't know if we'll do one in, another one in September. Probably, maybe, but we'll definitely have one before the playoffs start. Just talking about the playoffs and everything. Um, as long as Max allows us to continue podcasting, um, he you know really cracks the whip on us. So we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> he's he's such a cattle uh, driver that he gave me a whole week. So yeah. <laughs> And, I mean, Get back we, to work, Kevin. Yeah, Josh ah, ah, really I had to bank PTO to get there. Um, so yeah. you can follow uh, Max Reaper on Twitter at Max Reaper, uh, easy Twitter name M A X R I E P R. Max, thanks for joining me. Thanks for being our editor in chief for everything you do. And Josh, say something nice about Max. Um, Max Reaper employs me. Oh, you got it. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Max. Um, Josh, you. you can follow him on Twitter, uh, J underscore K underscore Ward. Um, what can you? You can't do dots in Twitter. I was like, wh- why choose the? Why choose the underscores? Did, was there a particular thing you liked about him? Why not just J K Ward altogether? Was that taken? Uh, it was taken. Was it? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I got. I moved. I moved from Joshua K Ward to try and get some separation from uh, Josh Dugan. Or Duggan, however he wants to pronounce his stupid last yeah, name. Yeah, he's got a terrible last name. You know, <laughs> and, and you're a media, you're a, a film kind of media guy. You could say that in that I have a degree in it, and I'm going to get a master's degree. <laughs> yeah, so let me just lightly say it then. Uh, All right. Until you officially have it, uh, the master's uh-huh. that is. Yeah. A lot of really good directors have two initials in their first name. Or am I right on that? It feels like I'm trying to think of. Some right now. I know writers, J.K. Rowling, C.S. Lewis, but yeah, in in the early in the early days with guys like W.C. Fields, you saw it a lot more. Um, there's what's your middle name? What's K stand for? Kent. Josh Kent Ward. So they're going to say Kaufman, and you reveal that you're actually oh oh man. Because I'm thinking like Paul Thomas Anderson. Like you need to go by three, the three names then, not two. Paul W.S. Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh. That's actually why they go by their middle names. Uh, is because when they joined the uh, oh yeah, that's right. Um, one of the things in Hollywood is you can't have the same name, which is just crazy. Because there's got not that it's crazy, but like <clears throat> Paul Anderson. There's you know it's not one guy's. Yeah. There's not a new guy named George Clooney that's trying to jump into the ranks here. <laughs> I mean, right. This yeah. is a. Totally. Kind well, of, one of the, one of the other reasons why it is that when you join, say, the actors' union or or the directors' guild, you can't play off of the name value of somebody else who's famous in order to gain more for yourself. You could so like, like it, so I couldn't rename myself as Steven Spielberg, but spell my last name with two E's. Yeah. Okay. I was gonna say you couldn't be George Lucas with two S's. You ha- you'd have to be. Right. It, it can't. It's got to be distinguishedly not close. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why uh, Michael Keaton changed his, his name is originally Michael Douglas, I guess, but he changed it to Michael Keaton yep. just to avoid conflict. Uh, and Nicholas Cage. Oh yeah. Is actually Nicholas Coppola. 
but he changed it to separate himself from his, you know, semi-famous family. And so. Charlie Sheen did the opposite. I mean, he he changed his name on purpose to get away from it. Essentially, I think. Am I right? It's, his last name isn't Sheen, right? No, no, it's, no, uh, no. Uh, Emilio Estevez is what I'm. No, thinking. he actually used it. He wanted to use his family yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. Char- Char- Charlie Sheen is his right. family name. Emilio right. Estevez use that's the name of his his mother's maiden name is Estevez. Talk about big time actors, Emilio Estevez. Just look at the career he's had since. I mean, yeah, man. insane. I, it's I, it's I'm sure. It's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, everybody, thanks for joining. Uh, listeners, thanks for listening. Uh, continue to read Royals Review. Uh, multi, multiple Royals posts daily covering anything from chicken pox to prospects to uh, Fountain Girl. Anything you could ever want to know about the Royals, we cover it. Uh, RoyalsReview.com. Thank you for listening. Have uh, many, many good days. Versace, Versace, Medusa head on me like I'm Luminati.